This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That is right. No Brandon, no Dan, just I, Nick. Uh, we're back with our good friend, Nizar Kinsella, for a kind of international break. Thankfully, the last one for a while. Uh, special uh, to get ready for the Newcastle match at the weekend. Obviously, we'll be talking all about um, the upcoming fixture list and injuries and all that sort of stuff. But of course, um, before we get started, you guys know the deal. We're going to do a quick call to action. We exist because of you. We want that to continue and continue to grow. So if you are uh, looking for any ways, especially around this, this season of giving, to give back, we would love a, a free five-star review, any sort of comments that you could leave for the podcast. It helps us get better. We read them. We uh, actually enjoy reading them and uh, would love to continue this great run of, I think, having over 1,800 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and uh, a ton more on Spotify. So if you can do that, that would be phenomenal. If you want to get uh, more involved or, or get deeper with the podcast, of course, Discord is the place to go. Just search London is Blue on Discord, and you'll find this wonderful community of people that we uh, have brought in. We've transitioned over from Patreon to just being a flat Discord community, so that's the reason for the change there. And then, of course, on YouTube, just subscribe, and we are so damn close to 30,000 subscribers really climbing up the charts there. Jake and Brandon doing a great job of getting that going. So uh, enough of a pitch on that front. We do have some upcoming episodes. Obviously, you're listening to this one on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. We have our Thanksgiving mailbag uh, on Wednesday, which is always a really fun episode. We've already recorded that, and I had a bourbon during it, so get ready for that one. Uh, Blue Royalty, of course, coming out for the review uh, of the Paris FC match that will be happening on Thanksgiving. And then, of course, Newcastle preview uh, with CFC Central on Friday per usual. So, look, we're so close to this international break being over this last one for some time, which will be awesome. We actually get a stretch of matches that we get to watch. Uh, you know, and, and look, I think maybe we start there, Naz. I mean, this is a – it's been a lot of stop-start football for, for Chelsea. Uh, you excited for this last international break to, to end? Well, I do like, I took my holiday during the international break, so that's worked well for me, especially because England don't have anything to play for anymore. So, uh, yeah, it's been sort of a flat period for news. Uh, I'm sorry if everyone feels that as well, uh, who's listening, who's reading my stuff. But, uh, yeah, we're going to ramp up now, aren't we? So uh, should be should be more lively in the weeks to come. One major piece of news, and, and I know this isn't your primary responsibility, but it, but it is happening at Chelsea Football Club, is seeing... Emma Hayes will leave the club after uh, 11 seasons and 100 million trophies uh, that she's been able to win. Uh, obviously, this kind of came as a shock a couple weeks ago. And then, um, you know, I think throughout the last week or so, doing interviews with the club media and with other media outlets has kind of given people a look inside to, you know, what she is looking forward to in her career and what she's looking forward to in terms of, work-life balance. She's certainly not the first uh, club manager to pursue something uh, in terms of international management. Naz, I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, an incredible person, incredible manager leaving Chelsea and pursuing the U.S. Women's National Team job? Yeah, I guess it's quite obvious. You guys have done loads of pods about it already, but she's a legend. She's uh, She is Chelsea's women's team, in my opinion. You know, she's the first person you think of. Maybe even 
you could even speak more broadly about English women's football and say that she's the first name you think to. I think most people would uh, agree in, in England. Like my friends talk about who love the men's game. They always talk about Emma Hayes uh, and this, that and the other. The fact they always link her to a men's job is is sort of an insult and a compliment at the same time, isn't it? Because uh, she's uh, she's the pioneer of the industry. But uh, yeah, it was a huge shockwave. Um, I think it, the news came out of the US first. I think US sources were really driving it initially. So uh, I think it was a bit of a shock for Chelsea um, that, that it came out in the way it did. And then, you know, Emma told the players straight after the Villa game, uh, they would have been in shock as well. I don't think there was a... There might have been a sense if you were inside the club that it was coming, but I don't think people outside the club had any idea. It was a real, real shock. Um, I don't think the players even knew, really, to be honest. Um, I think most of them would have joined to play for Emma. That's the kind of pull she has. So, yeah, it's a real shock, but she's handling it in a good way. She's she's getting wins still. I mean, they drew with Real Madrid, but that was a ridiculous, uh, as your pod uh, you know, came across, it was a ridiculous set of decisions that made that happen. Um, so she's still playing well. Uh, she wants to win everything this year, as she does every year. Nothing's changed in that regard. But really, a lot has changed. Like, it's a it's a shock. And we have to think about life after Emma Hayes. And, uh, yeah, and Chelsea tried to keep her. They really did. Um, you know, they tried to increase her wages. But the US uh, wages are high. Also, in the women's game, you know, the the sort of international stage is, is even bigger, I'd say, maybe than the men's game. Yeah. So that's a huge thing. And, uh, you know, we know how big the US team is as well, like the biggest national team. It's like managing Brazil in the men's game, right? So um, it's, it's a massive, massive job opportunity then. I was reporting as well that the family side of things, and she's opened up about that. She's happy to talk about Harry, her little boy, who she wants to see more. She's that's a big change in her life, you know, she's lost her dad as well. So there's a lot of things like that, changing perspectives, you know, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty huge moment. I can understand it, but Chelsea needs to find a way of doing things without her. Yeah, and, and I guess on that front, because we still have plenty of time to uh, mourn this loss that we know is coming, um, any, any word on who might be in the run to replace Emma at Chelsea? Well, I saw Casey Stoney is the name that sometimes gets mentioned to me as a candidate, but it's very early stages. Um, you know, I don't think even any interviews have been done. I don't think there's a there's an understanding yet if Casey Stoney would be available. She's a former uh, Chelsea player who managed Man United really well, brought them up to the uh, yeah. Women's Super League and, uh, yeah, had a great season there, managed, managed Lauren James as well. Um, so she's a great contender, but... Um, What's really interesting about it, actually, is that Emma and uh, Paul Green are going to choose their own sort of successor. I think they're doing it in conjunction with Paul Winstanley, who is not, you know, a specialist in the women's game. So, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting factor, uh, really unique. You don't usually have that um, in sport that you choose your own successor. It, it is very Sir Alex Ferguson picking David Moyes to manage Manchester United to me. And, and sometimes I think... Emma Hayes is a bit like Sir Alex Ferguson. So the succession planning is huge. There's some other names. I know I saw the Athletic put a couple of other names out, but yeah, Casey Stoney was the one that um that was that was put to me when I when I asked that question. Yeah, I think I think she would be the uh, overall favorite at LIBP headquarters as well. Um yeah, 
lots more to come on Emma, obviously, but wanted to get your thoughts as you've been doing a lot more women's coverage uh, over the last few years. So um, next note, and this kind of happened, um, uh, I wouldn't say quietly, but it wasn't like the most pronounced hire, but certainly something that Chelsea uh, need to do is increase revenues. And they have hired Casper Stylesvig as a uh, the new chief revenue officer, CRO at, at the club. He spent three years at Fulham as CRO. Uh, he spent eight years at United as the global sponsorship director. Um, moved to Milan where he did some incredible work, right? I mean, he doubled their commercial revenues. He uh, worked at the club while they were doing record high retail sales. We all know about their kind of cool partnerships that they've had uh, in the fashion industry, for example. Uh, but he's added more than 40 partnerships uh, during his time at the at Milan. And I think, um, you know, the Puma renewal in general was was one of those deals worth, you know, 30 million a year. So this is clearly an area in NAS where they were like, let's go find a guy who's done this before. Uh, we have clearly not achieved our goals in terms of bringing in net new revenue to the club and, we need someone who can help us do that. And so they went out and, and found Casper. What are, what are your thoughts on this hire as, you know, Chelsea are now uh, owned by a group who is looking to uh, increase revenues across the board? Yeah, I think the thing you ended on there that Chelsea are owned by a group that want to increase revenues is a really key point. Um, let's remember where Chelsea are coming from and where they're going. Chelsea were owned by Roman Abramovich, who is a Russian oligarch, who is very wealthy who didn't run the club for profit. We know that because he wrote off $1.5 billion worth of debt uh, that he sort of funded into the club, uh, just wrote it off. So uh, that kind of stuff doesn't usually happen in football. It's not normal. Um, it's not normal in business. Um, and it, it, in a way, it sort of hamstrings Chelsea now in, the, in 2023. Um, they perform quite poorly on commercial and revenue. They have done for a while. I mean, it was quite staggering to me when Spurs overtook Chelsea on the revenue table. Um, Chelsea, to me, you know, seem like the bigger club. They are the bigger club in many ways. Um, but, you know, in terms of the modern outlook, uh, they're, they're way behind. They were miles behind Man United. Uh, Man United is sort of the standard setter, so that's quite good because... Stalsvig comes from there. You know, in the past, Man United were good at things. Uh, they're not anymore, but they were. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, Man City now got like really huge revenues. I think they announced a record. So when you're talking about FFP, when you're talking about signing players, you need these people in to bring the money in. That's important. You know, it, it doesn't seem important uh, to fans now because. The business side of football isn't why we love it. We love the stuff on the pitch, but you want to get the business side right as well. And, uh, you know, having a CRO who's got a great track record at Man United, Fulham Premier League knowledge, um, you know, AC Milan, I think. I've dealt with AC Milan quite a lot and they're very progressive. They've got US ownership as well, which I think is significant here. Um so that's maybe why he's coming to London and, and to work with Chelsea. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's sort of why it's important is that Chelsea have need to move into the future, need to move into the modern day. The new ownership are trying to do that. And uh, yeah, Abramovich was great, but this is one area where he didn't need to be good and they, and Chelsea weren't good at it. But now Chelsea do need to be good and they want to be good at it. So uh, somebody like Kasper Stilsvig has a huge job on his hands, really. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, kind of thinking about the 
incredibly difficult, prolonged process to get the shirt sponsor this year. Like, this is one of those things that I think probably in, in making this hire that the club have acknowledged and are raising their hand that just wasn't a good process, took too long. Obviously, they went back and forth with multiple different sponsors, some getting rejected by the Premier League, some just not poning up the money. Obviously, they knew the entire last year that three was not going to be a part of the you know the club's ecosystem moving forward, right? And they just kind of bungled it. Um, you know, I I have a shirt with, without the sponsor on the front of it because of that. So it's a it's an interesting scenario for sure. And you know, there, there have been a lot of kind of business people as of late at Chelsea that have kind of come and go. My hope is that this is the guy, right? He he comes in with a ridiculous resume and, and a lot of proof points that would suggest he's a guy. But, you know, is he going to, like, report into Jurassic? Is that the, is that the you know, the, the kind of hierarchy that you acknowledge here? Yeah, I think so. And, and maybe the board directly as well. So, uh, yeah, but they need to get, like you say, they need to get these things right. The shirt sponsorship didn't go too well. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, so the new owners, they 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 have the right ideas. I absolutely believe that you know when they speak, they have the right ideas, but they're not actioned it very well in some in many areas of the club, and they need stability as well. So I think those two things that we need this hire to do, uh, we need Casper to sort of bring stability, um, bring that forward thinking, and, and and make stuff happen for Chelsea. And and hey, they're looking out for a shirt sponsor straight away next season because Infinite Athlete will leave and. And also sleeve sponsor. They've still not got one. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to do here. All right. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's move into Chelsea, uh, get in, you know, kind of back to the uh, post-international break reality that Chelsea's in. One interesting note, I was reading your article about, you know, kind of post-City where you said that Pochettino's profile has both grown within the club and uh, with the fans, you know, kind of post uh, the Man City win, I think, you know, obviously, a lot of uh, reporters like yourself were pretty uh, complimentary of, of Chelsea's efforts that day. And, you know, I, I think we were all very excited that, you know, Chelsea had to punch back three times to, to get level, which was pretty outstanding for a group who has struggled to score three times, let alone come back three times in a game uh, as of late. So can you, maybe just a quick note on Pochettino and kind of what the vibe is around the club, especially after the last decent run of results that we've had. Yeah, I think Pochettino's always had a positive influence on Chelsea since he's arrived. But um, I think there probably is a concern initially that results haven't been what they were wanting them to be, you know, playing well, but without the results. And uh, result, Chelsea are results business, a results club. So, uh yeah, but then to do, you know, that week was absolutely massive with Spurs and, and City, uh, just to sort of prove the concept. But he's always had the dressing room behind him and things like that. But you're just sort of wondering, can he keep the momentum going? Um, and then to get that sort of performance. I think actually it was it's very it's been very rare for me to see Chelsea in a good mood after a draw. I mean, Chelsea's mood can be a bit fragile, um, after draws, after uh, defeats after wins, you know, sometimes there's, you know, not a great feeling. But after that game, it felt like the connection was there with everyone. There was so much pride from the squad. I mean, the fans were really behind Pochettino and the players. Um, you know, like Chelsea fans still, even after that game, they still haven't chanted Pochettino's name. And, and that was a big talking point before the Spurs game where Pochettino was absolutely loved. Um, 
but like to have that connection with the fans after a great performance where there's identity, there's passion. I think that it it sort of justifies a lot of what he's trying to do. Um, I've been impressed with Poch anyway, but I think that people need to see something. They really need to see something on the pitch. You know, the match going fans are really demanded. Um, and I think they saw that against City. I thought it was a way better performance than Spurs even. Um, I mean, they played well against Liverpool and Arsenal, but um, I thought it was the performance of the season and actually Chelsea were a bit lucky to draw. I know they came back in the last minute, but uh, that Rodri goal was ridiculous, uh, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I felt um, I felt it was really important and I've got a good feeling about the next period. And also, don't forget, if Chelsea did badly in those last two games, they'd have been in a horrendous league position. There'd be huge pressure right now. So the fact we've had a calm international break is almost in part down to these two results and uh, the way Chelsea have played. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that, right? I mean, this is a a club that has gone through a lot recently. Um, interestingly, though, um, when you kind of compare this to last season, Chelsea were a little bit flat-track bully last season. This season having trouble to beat the teams around them in the table, but are really competing well against the likes of Liverpool, Arsenal, City, Spurs, that, you know, kind of top uh, group, you know, the top four. Um, is this kind of indicative, you know, as, as we look at the stretch ahead here in a second, is this indicative of the way that, you know, Poch sees this, you know, this season kind of coming down to potentially you know, shared points between top four rivals, you know, in, in your mind, because it seems as if Chelsea play more aggressively and more freely against teams that want to share the ball with them and are having trouble maybe reverting back to form of a couple of years ago, beating teams that are willing to just let Chelsea pass around the entire match. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, but I think the problem is twofold. So there's that, there's the fact that they like teams that try to go toe to toe with them um, in terms of like tactics. So they have like more space. They have a lot, Chelsea have a lot of quick players that are good in transition. So that that helps when like Man City trying to play the ball um, that that you know they can hit them on the break and and that's exactly what they did against City. Did it very well against Arsenal as well. The Spurs game was bizarre, so I can't really bring any uh, insights. It, it's its own thing. It's it, it's hard to even char uh, characterize that match, but yes, uh, agreed. Exactly. I think that that's one factor. So tactically, it helps uh, with the players they've got. Um, they need an evolution tactically when they play against low blocks, and that's a problem that they need to solve. It's partly because of strikers and finishing as well. Can Jackson do it when like that but I think there's a psychological element as well um, that the young squad they don't like positions where they're expected to win even against Spurs we'll talk about Spurs again like when they were expected to win it was a nightmare I actually put a tweet out I think during the match where I was like oh god Chelsea are favourites everyone expects them to win uh, it's like they're really struggling all of a sudden there was a period in the match where you're like and, and everyone felt it like some people said Chelsea fans have been too negative, but I felt what they meant. It was like there was a period of that match where you're just like, God, uh, what are they doing? Um, but they found a way in the end. But they often don't find a way, and I think that that's down to youth. It's down to panicking. I sense it when I'm there. Pochettino senses it. I've spoken to him about it time and again. It's always got boring how much I've spoken to him about it. I mean, the... Brentford game and the Nottingham Forest games are actually identical. If you played those two back-to-back, -back, 
I'd love to watch them at the same time back to back and just see like you know these players panicking. It's we've all I've felt it play football at a low level sometimes. Even you know it's uh, it's a natural thing, but Chelsea needs to get over it. Uh, the sort of the the need to feed the desire, and I think that that's why it's worse at home as well. Like the Fulham result was easier because it was away, but when it's at home, it's even worse. Yeah, yeah that's that's sort of my two cents on where Chelsea are. Uh, in those games, but luckily the first three games back are <laughs> pretty tough, I think. So we'll see how they do there. Yeah, well, we will get into the schedule here in a second. Going to take a quick ad break, thank our sponsors, and be right back. All right, Naz, like you said, um, you know, of course, you know, happy that there was a bit of a calm international break and, and knock on wood for no no injuries, uh, no new injuries across uh, the team. We'll get into that in a second as well. But Chelsea have a, you know, this is the daunting stretch of Chelsea season, you know, kind of starting with uh, Spurs and and really ending on the 13th against Fulham once you get through kind of the festive period. So Chelsea would have played Spurs and City, obviously, before the international break. Upcoming uh, Newcastle on Saturday away, home to Brighton on Sunday, December 3rd. Uh, away at United on December 6th. Let's just jam them all in here, right? Um Let's see, away at Everton. Uh, we talked about that earlier, maybe a bogey game on the 10th. Home to Sheffield United should be very winnable. Uh, a, or home to Newcastle on the 19th for the uh, League Cup quarterfinal. Uh, Wolves away on Christmas Eve, shameful Premier League. Uh, home to Palace, away at Luton, home to Fulham. So those last three are probably a little bit easier than the previous five or six. But still, uh, this is... You know, kind of when, when the fixtures were released, it was this period of the schedule where everyone looked at this going, "Ooh, there's some that's a that's a tough stretch that you have there, especially going away at Newcastle, Brighton and then away at United. What, what are your thoughts on Chelsea coming back from this international break? It's, it's obviously not ideal to have this many stop starts at the beginning of a Premier League season. The team hasn't really been able to get any sort of consistent player or gel as a group, but want to get your thoughts on on what we have coming up. Yeah, I think it's good it's a good moment I think. I think there's a there's a bit of two feelings I think after the Man City game there's a sense and I spoke to Robert Sanchez and and Poch and Poch was knackered. He was just like he couldn't even make sense of what he witnessed. He was he was really happy though, but uh yeah, he was just like wow, I need to have a break. He's been on holiday abroad. Uh but there's also a sense of it would be nice to just keep going because we're playing well now. Um, so there's a bit of both of that kind of feeling of we've had big games, but we want to keep going. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea deal with it. It's unknowable, really, till they take the pitch. And uh, But I think that they're in a good shape. I'm really positive. Um, I know they're quite tough games, but uh, actually when you dig deep into it, they're not maybe as tough as you might think. Uh, I think like Chelsea could be favourites in all three. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this uh, after oh. the last year. But um, Newcastle might not be in great shape. Brighton a bit hit and miss this season. Europe's been tough for them. Been tough for Newcastle as well. Man United in a similar way, actually in winning games somehow, but in the worst possible way. I can't believe what I'm seeing sometimes that they win, but it's absolutely a painful watch. So um, very. Decently winnable games, I think, those three. And, and it wouldn't even surprise me if Chelsea get nine points from uh, those three games or certainly maybe even seven. 
Um, so yeah, I think that they're in a good shape, and then getting players back as well, you know, and Kunku is really the one that we're looking at, thinking could this guy be a game changer? Um, so yeah, I think that um, the only thing is is that there aren't many points on the board, and when this run came up, I was quite worried because I was like, are we in another crisis soon? Because the Chelsea were playing Tottenham, Man City, and then these three, and I was like. God, uh, there's not a lot of points on the board and there still isn't that many points on the board. So Chelsea kind of need to win some of these games. It's not really an excuse to just go and play for a point and they won't do, but um, they need they need to get some wins, really. We're, we're 12 matches into the season, right? I mean, this is like nothing <laughs> in terms of where the, you know, the league will go. You're, you know, just about, I don't know, just a little under a third of the way there, right? When you think about being late November to only be a third of the way through the season just feels so odd. Uh, but, you know, of course, you've had three international breaks and, you know, those have taken, uh, I think, a collective five weeks out of football so far this year, which is, you know, of course, you will know. But, uh, you know, for those of us who kind of feel like the season hasn't really even started yet, this is going to be the stretch, right? I mean, you have you start to have matches every four days or so throughout the stretch you of course play on christmas eve which you know we've talked about at length being absolute horseshit uh but this is where every team is going to be stretched from a squad management perspective right you're, you're playing you know essentially uh um two months worth of games in a month um and, and it really does get tight down there in the festive fixture period so well, I guess, what are your thoughts on on right now the squad management perspective? Are Chelsea going to have to use their entire complement of players available to get through, you know, matches like Sheffield United and Luton to kind of spell some of the the starters who are who've been playing every match so far? A little bit, yeah, but I think that, and I think this is probably my one criticism of Poch is there's been very little squad rotation, and I worry that. If he doesn't rotate enough, then the fringe players won't be as happy. And we've seen it time and again at all clubs. That's what happens. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a good advantage for Chelsea to not have Europe. There's been a lot of injuries and he's trying to build a team from scratch, literally from scratch. So it, it has been good keeping the same team for the Cups and the league. But I'd like to see maybe a tiny bit more rotation. I'm sure a lot of the fringe players would as well. I mean, we still haven't seen Petrovic, even George Petrovic, one of the signings. We haven't seen him take the field yet so we want to see what he can do uh things like that so uh yeah that's one thing but i i also think that it's probably time for you know chelsea to take the good form the good feeling around the club and, and improve and, and move forward and and uh you know injuries are easy and uh, chelsea need point, points on the board and, and yeah we're, we're not that far through the season but if Chelsea keep falling behind, then eventually you're going to be like, right, top four's out and that that, that motivation's gone and then you're just playing for Europa League and how excited are people going to be about that? So I think I'd like to see Chelsea at least just keep pace and we'll see how, how the season goes. But I think that that's the key at this stage. The key message needs to be we can achieve top four. That's what Robert Sanchez said to me after the Man City game. He was like, we can do top four. Like We need to be aiming for at least that. Um, and uh, I think that Chelsea needs to keep pace, so that's important. Just I don't expect them to win every week, but I expect them to win, you know, one and two, right? And then 
uh, you know, and then and then draw quite a few games as well, and and just keep pace with the big boys. I'm not saying Man City, but I'm saying you know, uh, Liverpool, maybe Arsenal, Tottenham are, are, are in disarray a bit now. So you've got to keep pace with those kind of clubs, really. Well, it's 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 all there. I mean, again, we're not even a third of the way through the season yet. We don't really know who any of these teams are at this point. It's usually around you know the festive fixture period that things start to kind of shake out a little bit more, right? So. I think I think Matt and Brandon said that too when they were talking. It's like you absolutely should shoot for top four. There's so much season left. If you put a string of results together, you can easily jettison up the table. I mean, that's the the good news. The bad news is that it can, as we know, go the other way as well. Basically, from now until January 13th, that's 30 points available for Chelsea to get. What's your prediction on the number of points they get? <laughs> uh, well, as a lot of lesser teams, so they probably drop points there, beat the big one. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that um, I could see him getting a lot of those points, maybe like twenty-one, and uh, you know, being and that would that would set them up well. I think they'd be just outside the probably the top four. Then uh, we'll see how it goes, and then you know, I think that maybe some of the other teams are going to have the injury problems Chelsea have had. It's starting to show a little bit. Newcastle, Man United have had a lot. Uh, Spurs finally are getting in that in that way, but. Actually, I mentioned Spurs there, and, and they've not had Champions League either or any European football either, and they've really benefited. So I'm, I'm quite interested to see if Chelsea will benefit from not having it, you know, once players are back fit and once they have real competition in the squad. And I think that that's going to be key. You, you mentioned the injuries, and we were talking before we jumped on air uh, that you, you're reporting that injuries are up 15% across the league this year. And, of course, you know, we know Chelsea are a, a large portion of that. <laughs> that but I, what what is at the center of this for you is it just fix, fixture congestion or is there is, is it something else is it training regimens that are off is it nutritional stuff is it you know move you know chelsea have obviously you know juggled the medical staff like uh, what other factors are you looking at that are kind of at cause for this increase in injuries well, from Chelsea's perspective, I think they have their own unique factors that aren't really relevant to the Premier League, which is kind of a, and a sorry Chelsea fans, but it's going to be probably a bit insulting. But yeah, the medical staff being in disarray, um, I think just generally, I don't think the players feel as well looked after last season as they should have been, not as fit as they should have been last season. I mean, Frank Lampard's come out and said it, so I don't think I'm saying anything controversial here. Uh, so Chelsea have their own unique set of circumstances and Pochettino and his team are trying to fix it. That's key. Chelsea trying to fix it. Uh, but, you know, it's not been ideal so far. But they will fix it in time, I think. Um, and, and that's a uniquely Chelsea factor. But Chelsea also dealing with a macro factor in the league as a whole where it's been crazy in the last few years. Like, it's been crazy for me. I'm tired out from just the World Cup being in the middle of the season, uh, COVID effects, affecting the schedule. I mean, this is going to be... I think the only year with the winter break, they're even talking about the Premier League getting rid of the winter break, having only had it for two years in in like the last few years. So, um, yeah, that that's that's going to be taken away uh, because more and more fixtures are being asked of players, big players. Um, you know, like they've got to do more and more international games. The Nations League games are competitive instead of friendlies that they used to play in Europe. Uh, you know, there's a Club World Cup coming, a uh, massive tournament that Chelsea will play in um, in the United States. So there's all these, like, factors. And, and the players are, like many of them say, not robots. And I think maybe football is coming into a bit of a point where there's going to be a battle 
uh, about, you know, you see it in US sports, haven't we, where players go on strike and stuff. So there's a bit of danger that they're going to say we're playing too much and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. For sure. I mean, obviously Newcastle coming up on Saturday. That's the the big one, right? We, we have a lot going on there. They are uh, feeling the burn in terms of injuries right now. And maybe a few holes in the boat. You know, we obviously saw that the Kieran Trippier moment right uh, after they lost to Bournemouth, and and you know him being visibly frustrated. The fans are visibly frustrated. Lewis Hall not eligible to play against his parent club. Obviously, that's a, a deal with the loan, and Chelsea will be, I'm I'm sure, happy to let him ride the bench for this one. Just thoughts about this Newcastle match. I mean, you know, there was a period where. You know, they, they had a slow start just like Chelsea, but then they went on a, a tear of wins where they looked uh, fantastic. I mean, even beating PSG, right? So this is a a team that at the peak of their powers can do a lot, but are certainly not at the peak of their powers right now. Is this Chelsea's chance to take some points at, at St. James's Park and, and really do a job? Yeah, I'd like to see, like, maybe it's not going to be the public message, but maybe the private message from Poch could be, like, we need to kill these guys. Like, it is time. Like, yeah, um, we want to show these guys what we can do and we want to take back our spot. I mean, they basically took Chelsea's spot in the Champions League last season. It's it's motivation, right? Like, you don't want Newcastle to take Chelsea's spot longer term as well. So, yeah, crush them at St. James's Park. It's been a place where there's been a lot of pain from Chelsea down the years. Um, so I'd say uh, it's a huge game actually we talk about the top four race this is a top four race team um, and it could be a top five this year if uh, if if certain factors in the new Champions League system uh, come, come through so it's just like it's a key game it's a key match and Newcastle longer term will be a, a rival to Chelsea I've got no doubt about it I think some of the things they're doing are good I mean we can talk all day long about what we think of state sponsored clubs but um, I think that there's certainly a force that's here to stay I mean but right now they're vulnerable like you said so many injuries uh, Lewis Hall can't play uh, I think I counted the injuries actually today they might have 13 players out if uh, if 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 everyone who is a doubt doesn't play sort of thing. So yeah, they've got like three left backs out. It's crazy. It's crazy. So Chelsea must like go there. And and hey, I'm quite impressed with um, Newcastle because they don't make injuries too much of an excuse. They can win games while they got injured players, but Chelsea should go there and, and try and upset the Apple cart. It's it's not going to be easy even with the injuries, but it's a, it's a great opportunity, this. And that's probably what it should be seen as, an opportunity. Last question on the upcoming run of fixtures, and I, I got my math wrong. One of those 10 matches, i.e. 30 points, was uh, an EFL Cup match. So let's take that out. 27 points available. Uh, yeah. I'll, give, I'll give you Everton, Sheffield United, Wolves, Palace, Luton or Fulham, which one of these teams is most likely to give Chelsea the toughest match? Oh, I could see I could see Chelsea dropping points at Everton. I could see them being amazing for the next three games and then dropping points at Everton. I mean, Goodison, I'm going to be there. I'm going to go to all these games, and every time I go to Goodison, I'm writing something negative about Chelsea. So <laughs> I might even start writing it now, guys. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just get, let's get the piece ready. All right. We're going to take our last ad break and then come back with some uh, notes about injuries uh, about you know potentially some uh, upcoming contract stuff and uh, and much much more. So we will be right back. All right, quick note on injuries, Naz. I know that you know again we've talked a little bit around this so far, but uh, Reese James commenting that he 
uh, feels as good as he has in a long time, um, that he's understanding when his body, better understanding when his body is at its limit and when to slow down, stuff like that. I mean, obviously he's been critical to Chelsea's success and a massive, massive loss when he hasn't been on the, in the team, you know, just kind of give your thoughts on, on his recovery. I mean, Chelsea are clearly not pushing him. He's not gone to England on this international break, even though he was called up. Is, is this a new Reese James who's trying to manage his body in a different way? Yeah. I, I, I think that that needs to be done. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive to hear him speaking it and acknowledging it. Cause, uh, sometimes like, I guess the game I'd point to now from last season was the Real Madrid game. Remember it was a huge game. Lampard It's basically Lampard's all or nothing game. And, uh, Chelsea got beat, but, Reese James put his body through hell that night and it was like, it, you know, he, I saw him get injured on the pitch, but he carried on playing in central midfield. I was like, he can hardly move. And I was like, I, I admired him, but I was I was worried about him as well at the same time. And, and you know, when you sat there in the stadium, you could just see every movement's not great. Um, and uh, he played well somehow with the injury, but... That kind of thing, uh, I think that that's not good for his future. I think it's more of a yeah. case of slow down. And, and sometimes he wants to turn on Reese James mode. He can do so much, but it's okay to play within yourself, to not push yourself too hard, to not take risks in tackles or or with runs and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that he always starts slowly when he comes back from injury. And uh, I say that when he can still be one of the best players on the pitch, like against Spurs, Chelsea kept him on until Jackson scored, I think. They literally, they subbed him as soon as Jackson scored. And I think he was involved in the goal, lofting the ball over the top. And uh, yeah, that's his importance to Chelsea. But um, he's got to be managed uh, for a long time. And then eventually, hopefully, he gets to an equilibrium where he can manage his body, Chelsea can, and it's all a bit more natural. But I think it needs to be very deliberate now. Uh, for a while, maybe even for the whole season, you could say. Yeah. Um, that England was a brave decision. Um, I'm happy for him. I hope he gets back in. I think he can, um, he could, just because he's so good. Uh, most players, I'd say, that's not a good call. But uh, for him, you know, he does want to play in the tournament, so I think he can. Uh, yeah, so that's good. And I think Chelsea, you know, getting players back, it's looking better, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, let's talk. I mean, Batty Shield obviously made his return before this international break, although hasn't he's only featured you know the one time uh, in the League Cup. Um, but you could see him possibly getting rotated in more at this point now that he's been kind of reintegrated, right? Yeah, I think with centre backs, you kind of either play them or you don't. They're not like you don't just sub them on for twenty yeah. minutes. It's, it's like that. So with him, I think it's going to look like that. Maybe he'll play against Newcastle the cup or you know busy week one. Um, yeah, I was quite, you know, Wesley Fafan has got back on the training pitch as well. I don't know if you saw that, but he posted on his Instagram that he's, uh, he was, I mean, he's probably doing very big. Yeah. Talk, talk me through this really quick because you've had multiple ACL injuries. I don't think I'm breaking any news to our listeners with that, um, and, and the issues and the recovery period that I can read online and that I've known my entire life is anywhere between eight to 12 months. Roughly, it depends on the person, depends on the recovery. He just had surgery for a ruptured ACL in late July, right? So this is a player who's like August, September, October, November, four months in and train. Is that, does that feel early to you or does that feel natural in, in terms of timeline? 
Uh, it does depend what he does. I think he can be up on his feet. I mean, I've seen him around Stamford Bridge a lot. I think uh, Simon Johnson tweeted about his well and uh, he's like moving pretty fine you wouldn't know he's injured like walking around he's absolutely fine but when it comes to playing football that's a different kind of thing changing direction and stuff like that getting himself to top shape so that sort of stuff's going to be slow but you can see real progress in his recovery and it's really nice to see he's a, he's a, he's a happy boy he's not a problem he's he's fine he's comfortable don't worry about him but uh, at the same time I think we're we we'll wait and see if he can get back to the same level we expect him to be. I mean, this guy's supposed to be Chelsea's one of Chelsea's main centre backs for the next five years. So, uh, yeah, let's hope he's okay. Um, I'm worried about him. Um, it's just too many injuries, but I really I'm backing him as well. I'm hoping that he does well because I've seen him play a lot for Leicester, which I mentioned in previous pods. Um, my wife is a Leicester City fan, so I watched a lot of him and uh, what a player he is. So, um, yeah, he's got the ability, but is his body in good shape? Can it be in good shape? And uh, I hope he does it because it'll be an amazing story if he comes back to the top. Let's talk about uh, the big one. And by the big one, I mean in Kunku. Obviously, there was news before this break that he could make his return after the break. A guy who's coming off an MCL, you know, around the same time that Fafana got injured, right? I think a couple weeks after, you know, again, rumored to be out up to four months. And so I guess we're about there, maybe a little bit before that recovery time period. We've seen a lot of his gym videos and stuff like that, maybe a, f- a few quick snaps on the training ground. But any thought on to like when he might return in this fixture period and like what his return might look like? Is this going to be like kind of like the way they're working recent where it's like 15, 20 minutes and then gradually increase as you as you go throughout the next few months yeah i think they could bring him back quite quickly this in this particular case but i think uh, he's in great shape uh, he's done his recovery really well uh, i think he naturally trains brilliantly anyway and he's he's got he's got a great body uh, for for recovering from injuries so uh, i think that they were even a little bit of talk about bringing him back for city uh, the Man City game just before the international break, but uh, I think that it was only like a bit of a joke. Poch, Poch put it to him, "Could you play?" And uh, he was ready to play. Christo, he was uh, he was ready to play, but uh, he just said, "I think you know the medical staff will take it out of his hands and say, no, look, we'll we'll hold you back for a bit longer.'" Um, and that's a smart thing to do. What will happen now is they'll bring him back to the training pitch, see how he reacts to training really have a good look at him. So expect to see some probably training ground picks of him uh, on the pitch this week. And uh, and then if he comes through that, you'd probably see him on the bench, bench for a few weeks probably, increases minutes, starts, probably stay in the team ever since. So, uh, But I think they're, I think they're not going to reintroduce him slowly. I think we're going to see a lot of him, a lot of minutes. It's going to be, and he's going to be too good not to use as well. Yeah. So they're going to want to use him. Um, so yeah, probably starts on the bench first game, but you'll quickly see him starting in the starting lineup as well. Well, that is welcome news to everybody. And again, just knock on wood that he doesn't have any setbacks in his, his recovery. Um, he would be a phenomenal uh, weapon to have uh, in your arsenal. Uh, just a quick, a couple of quick notes. It looks like uh, Mel Gusto picked up an injury. They, you know, the keep is, is reporting, uh, that this is specifically with his right MCL. Um, and we have no idea, or at least at the time they reported this, have no idea what the you know extent of the injury would be. Have you heard anything new on Malagusto? No, nothing new, but I could just add a little bit that uh, 
I think Chelsea were aware that there was a there was a little something he had. Uh, maybe it's maybe it seemed worse. Maybe they're just playing it cautiously a little bit here. But Chelsea were aware that his knee wasn't in the perfect condition, so he's uh, he was he was very heavily strapped up on that on that knee. Yeah, but um, like a huge surprise, like it was sort of made out. It's just it's just one of them that they're not taking a chance and, and we'll see. Uh, they are managing it. He's, barely, he's not played a lot since Reese James has recovered and I think Chelsea have used Reese James to kind of rest Malogusto. Um, any updates on Lavia or Chukwameka? Yeah, Lavia, they're very hopeful he'll come back soon. I've not heard too much on Chukwameka. Lavia is going to really be a slow burn back in the team. I bet I've got a feeling he won't even start game until the FA Cup third round. Um, I could see him not starting until January, but he'll be around it. He'll probably come off the bench. Um, so we'll see a little bit of him, I think, make his debut in the next few months. It's good for the um, December period where it's so busy as well. Um, and yeah, I think that Chuck Romaker, he's had a setback, but I'm not sure when his return date is. It's a real frustration because he played so well against West Ham, didn't he, before his injury, but I've not had a return date. I don't think Chelsea a bit quite cautious about return dates as well. So, uh, yeah, we expected him back by now. He's had a setback and he's still out. So frustrating one for him. Let's talk Connor Gallagher here for a second. I mean, this is, in my mind, Chelsea's player of the year so far. You reported um, around a you know, talk of a new deal uh, that he said, I'm sure we'll get that sorted out. Any thoughts on on what this will look like for him, this contract renewal process? We've obviously seen the club offer Reese James an extended contract that kind of took him into kind of, you know, one man, one club territory. Um, what are your thoughts on on the way that Connor's playing and, and whether or not he's going to get extended as well? Well, it's weirdly still a mystery if he's going to get extended. Uh, it's bizarre to me, but yeah, the way he's playing is uh, sensational. I've been blown away by him. Um, I think that it was so interesting. You mentioned that interview, what he said about his contract, but there's another bit he said, and uh, I'm going to contrast it with what he said before the World Cup. He was surprised that he got called up by England for the World Cup in Qatar. Um, and he didn't play a lot, but he was in around the group and he was surprised by it. But now he sort of, he comes into the England group and he's like, yeah, I kind of expect to be here. I know I'm playing well. I know I'm good enough to play with these guys. You know, England expects to at least come close to winning the next tournament. So he expects to be a top, top international. Um, and that's a complete change in mentality. That's Poch improving him. That's him improving. Uh, that's him playing in the right position, which he hasn't done at Chelsea for most of the time he's been here. I don't think um, he is not a number six. He's not the holding number six anyway. He's box to box type. He can do it, but let's use him to his strengths. And uh, most ball recoveries in the opposition half, that's because he's an unbelievable runner. It's no secret. So use him the way he's intended to be used and uh, he'll reward you. Uh, been a good leader as well so yeah I think that everyone at Chelsea is really happy with him I have spoken to people about this subject a lot of different people and yeah not a lot's happening on the contract front but Chelsea are happy with him Poch I wonder if Poch is going to be the guy who drives this to, for him to stay um, because there's not been much movement on the ownership side there's been a bit of you know, he could have gone in the summer, maybe that kind of thing. And uh, it's going to be even more intense next summer when he's got only one year left on his deal. I mean, clubs are going to come for him and Chelsea are going to have less leverage. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. But I think the one thing Chelsea have in their favour is Poch and Gallagher's relationship is very good. 
Um, Gallagher is getting the best out of Poch. Poch is getting the best out of Gallagher. And uh, the relationship's working. And usually in football, if everything's working like that, you can build the basis for contract talks. So a lot's not been perfect in the past, but I think Poch could fix those problems potentially. And uh, yeah, I think now, I mean, and not Chelsea fans didn't like him in the past or he got criticised, but I think now everyone sees what he does. Um, and, uh, you know, he'd be quite welcome to stay as well. So yeah, he loves Chelsea. Chelsea now, now love him and Poch loves him. So there's a bit of basis for talks, but as far as I can tell, and I think Matt said the same to you last week, nothing's really going on. So, uh, yeah, no contract talks yet, but we'll see. I think that it will maybe rumble on all season and eventually towards the end of the season, we'll, we'll maybe, we'll see him sign or, or, or heaven forbid in many people's eyes, he'll leave. Yeah. Let's, let's not screw this one up board. How about that? Um, Let's talk quickly on January rumors before we kind of wrap up here. Obviously, you reported uh, Osimhen is a, is a primary target, but it is going to be incredibly difficult to get him out of Naples in January. I mean, they're obviously playing Champions League football and contract situation, and I think the overall valuation of this player, given Chelsea's record signing strikers, has not been phenomenal. Um, just overall thoughts on this. I mean, it, it does you kind of paint a picture in, with words that this is going to be kind of like a 20% chance of happening, if that. Yeah, it's a bad market for strikers in January, and Ossiemen is uh, the kind of player that everyone wants, um, and Chelsea need a top striker potentially. If they're going to do one, there's no point in getting um, another young one now. They've got Brozier and Jackson, so uh, yeah, he'd be a great fit, I think, and Chelsea like him, obviously. I think the thrust of my piece was a lot of it was that um, yeah, it's unlikely, but Ossiemen likes Chelsea. And uh, I was kind of annoyed because uh, he came out on Mikel's podcast and uh, basically spelled it out. But I had the information for a little while anyway. And uh, he, you know, he's always loved Chelsea, he loves Drogba, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it, they've got some similarities, some differences. But uh, yeah, he's always loved Drogba, he lo- loves Chelsea. He's He'd be interested in Man United, but they're not going to sign a striker. So it's basically Chelsea... Arsenal and Spurs competing in the battleground if they're going to go in for strikers. And uh, yeah, I mean, Ossiemen would probably pick Chelsea out of the three. So very interesting situation. Um, but you could see Chelsea getting all different kinds of profile strikers. They've been linked to Rooney Bardwaj, I think he's called the um, FC Copenhagen player. He's called the winner against Man United in the Champions League. He's only 17, I believe, but really top youngsters. So they're going to look at the, the the current strikers they've got. Jackson's scoring now and Kunku, let's see how he does. I think they want to see him. Um, and if they've got enough goals, they might wait. And that actually might increase the chances of Ossiemen coming in. So they're constantly evaluating it. I think they are leaning towards signing another striker in the next 12 months. But, um, yeah, it, it might not be in January. I mean, we always want more in January. Well, let's not not last season, but usually we always expect more from January than actually happens. Chelsea's new orders were a bit different last last January. It was a... It, it, don't remind me, actually. Sorry. I shouldn't have gone down that route. <laughs> uh, you, you also reporting that uh, Chelsea are leading the race for Gabriel Moscardo. Uh, he's a... Uh, young Brazilian starlet at Corinthians and that, you know, of course there's going to be competition for a signature with Arsenal and Liverpool and Barcelona already kind of there. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on this player? This is kind of, is this another in the future pipeline consideration set? 
Yeah, yeah, massively is is in that route. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea sell that to the player. Will he be going alone or whatever? But I, I want to just say about Moscato, um, a lot of people will be like, why another midfielder, blah, blah, blah. But he is really seen as a real, real top talent. Like I'm talking real, like one of the high tier talents. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of seen as an opportunity. Chelsea can do it. It's, it's absolutely their MO. Uh, they've already tried to bid for him and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's it, Chelsea's seriously in here. But uh, yeah, it might be that the player thinks there's too much traffic, which Chelsea are going to have this problem in the future now that they've got young players in, great young players, but they might look at Chelsea and think, Enzo Fernandez is going to ruin my development. So why am yeah. I going to join Chelsea? So uh, I wonder if that's a problem here. I, I think the player's kind of happy to wait and see his options. But um, yeah, that that might unsettle things a little bit. You mentioned in our in our WhatsApp chat new defender. What what's the new defender about? Do we not have a hundred? No, yeah. Well, I don't. I I'm not sure, but there's been a few links with the new defender, so uh, I just I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um, I'm I'm going to chase that down in the next few days, but you know, certainly Trevor Shellabar's up for sale, but it doesn't feel like Chelsea need another defender, and especially if they trust in the the rehabilitation of Wesley Fofana like there's there's almost too much now um I mean Barry Sheila is not getting many minutes there's been linked to the loan space Milan that won't happen but the more defenders Chelsea sign the more problems they're going to have more defenders more problems so yeah <laughs> I'm going to look into it but I don't think it's going to be a major topic I think it's going to be quite a quieter January strikers way more on the front of the agenda but yeah, defender. There's starting to be a few rumblings about this, so it's one of my next investigation points. And then, I guess, finally, any departures beyond? Uh, you noted Chalaba earlier. Um, any any departures beyond Chalaba that you're like, hey, this is going to be hot on the radar for January? I feel like Thierry Henry's linked to Leslie Ogachukwu with the loan move because he's sort of saying he needs to get more minutes, which is a bit of a strange quote. So I don't know how that's come about, but uh, yeah, um, I think that. The more Shalabar's likely to leave, or you know, they're going to look at teams are going to look at him and stuff. Uh, I saw that somebody said that he was out until February. It's not true. Uh, he is he is sort of back in sort of end of December, early January, hopefully. Um, but that might put off teams as well because they've got to rehabilitate him. You know, so loans are going to be tricky if he's not fully fit when he comes back. You know, he's probably a bench option when he comes back. Um, but yeah, uh, Ian Matson's the other one you're looking at, aren't you? And thinking, what's what's happening there? Uh, similar situation to Conor Gallagher, but the difference is he's not playing enough. So you can imagine he's not as happy as Conor Gallagher. You can imagine, you know, there's still going to be a lot of interest in him. So um, yeah, I think that Matson may leave Chelsea in the next six months, six months to a year. So that's not a controversial thing to say, I think, uh, with the position how it is. But you know what? I think that. Poch leaves the door open for all his players. So I think Matson will keep trying for Chelsea. He'll keep trying to prove Chelsea that he's worth a contract. He's not just an FFP fixed problem. Um, you know, Cucurella has proven that he can survive from the absolute fringes under Poch. So the door is always a little bit open with Poch. So Matson will fight till the end, but I wonder if it's a fight too difficult to win. Even with questionable left-back depth at this point? I mean, I, I think that's my only question. You have these... Huge amount of fixtures coming up. You know, Kukure has been great, but again, you risk, you know, if, if Gusto isn't healthy, potentially having to play 
you know, someone at right back, whether that's Dissasi or Kukurea, and then potentially leaving left back to strain Colwell, which, you know, of course, he's, he's had a slight shoulder injury. I mean, I, I think it's possible you see Matson play in this next stretch, whether it's in the League Cup or, you know, it's against Luton or, or one of these teams that, that maybe Chelsea can afford to, to play him against. Maybe, but I think Matson needs to transition to play for a team every week. That'll be a key for him in the future to be a top player. I think he thinks he's... And I think he is on the path to being a really good player and maybe there's not space at Chelsea. The other thing is there's this huge trend towards playing centre-backs at full-back now and um, Poch is doing it with uh, Disasi and uh, and Colwell. Um, we've seen, you know, Matson and Chilwell playing in the forward line. That's, that's kind of common now and I think it's, you know, Pep's doing it. Um, Ten Hag's done it. A lot of these top managers, uh, Guardiola, sorry, um, Klopp's done it as well. So, yeah, I think Poch is starting to trend with these top managers that he plays centre backs and and Colwell playing there. To me, it felt a bit like the death knell for Matson as a left back at Chelsea. I know he's played there a tiny bit this season, but it's uh, it just feels like it's not going to be a thing really. Um, and I think when there's if Reese James is playing regularly as well, there's an attacking right back. Potts doesn't want an attacking left back if there's an attacking right back. It's asymmetric systems. It's very complicated. It's not your straightforward, uh, you know, two full backs and two centre backs anymore. The game is moving to another level and uh, another trend. And I wonder if Matson's not the guy who's going to be picked out to be the full back in this sort of trend of, of Chelsea and, and the way Chelsea are moving forward. Well, uh, look, that's a full hour of Chelsea updates. We went through a lot here, Naz. Uh, obviously, appreciate having you on right after you got back from your holiday. Uh, hopefully, you get over these sniffles here um, and you're able to fully recover, not be on the injury bench for, for too long. But, um, yeah, any any final thoughts for, for the audience before we uh, end this one? Yeah, I just um, – yeah, my sniffles, I think <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah, I've had too much fun on holiday, basically. I was in a hot country getting sniffles. It's crazy, man. But uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'll be at every single game. Uh, it's going to be pretty crazy. It's going to be full on like December always is. So I'm actually quite looking forward to it, apart from the uh, Christmas Eve game. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good little run. And um, I think that, interestingly, with Poch, he got his Spurs team going around this time. And I'm interested to see if he gets his Chelsea team going around this time. It's almost parallel, like the week that Chelsea went became good. Uh, it's similar to the week that Tottenham went good. Because if you read his book, I just read his book, he, he thought he was going to get sacked by Tottenham, potentially. He started quite badly. So... Um, I'm quite interested to see if uh, this is this is the this is the this is the coming coming of age for Chelsea and, and under Poch and the new ownership a little bit. Well, we have an extended run of fixtures to figure it out, and the team will actually get a play consistently for the next few months, which is uh, different than what we've had to start the season. So, uh, look, always appreciate having you on, and Chelsea fans, go give uh, Naz a follow and, and some likes on his articles, of course. And uh, look. Until the Thanksgiving mailbag on Wednesday, uh, you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying high.